This programming is sponsored by the UH Health Family Care Center, offering primary care and behavioral health services on the University of Houston campus. Health insurance plans including Medicare and Medicaid accepted. New patient appointments and more at 832-UH-CARES. I say you. Tony-nominated actress Shalita Grant finally has control of her career, but in a very unique way. She suffered severe physical hair damage and was going bald while working on a popular CBS TV series. Grant says it was because of inexperienced hairstylists on that set who couldn't quite handle the texture of black women's hair. It's that because your hair is difficult, you are difficult. I'm Eddie Robinson, and stay tuned for a provocative conversation with actress and entrepreneur Shalita Grant. We learn more about her at-home hair care product line called Four Naturals, how her relationship with her hair has helped to change her life, and how she's settling into her new home right here in Houston, Texas. Oh yeah, I feel you. We hear you. I see you. This segment does contain language that may be offensive to some listeners. It's I See You. I'm Eddie Robinson. Tony-nominated actress Shalita Grant has been a force on the TV screen. The characters she play give off a certain energy, a personality that's unique, captivating. For instance, critics have raved about her performance and how she's a scene-stealer playing the role of Sherry Conrad in Netflix's highly rated series entitled You. Sherry, by the way. As in locally famous momfluencer Sherry Conrad. Her blog slash podcast slash brand heart-shaped mistake. We'll talk more about that role in just a minute. She's also starred in the HBO Max dark comedy Search Party, where she plays a precocious lawyer, Cassidy Diamond, who represents an accused murderer. So, imagine if you will, a little girl on a playground, swinging on a swing. Okay, um, I'm sorry, I hate this. Uh, She also has played in roles on a number of series on television, including NCIS New Orleans, Santa Clarita Diet, Battle Creek, and The Good Wife. Can we talk for a second? Sure. Yeah, it's just, with all the craziness lately, I never really got the chance to thank you. You really put yourself on the line for me when I went to jail. She spent four years at the prestigious Juilliard School. She's been on Broadway. Her acting career has taken off. But things haven't always worked out for the breakout star. Um, Following her Tony Award nomination, she moved to Los Angeles and recalls her struggles auditioning some 54 some odd times in one year for various roles. Despite all of that, She's managed to become a fan favorite in the characters she's portrayed throughout her career. And she now owes a lot of it to the body part we usually don't think or talk about, her hair. In addition to acting, she's been a huge advocate for proper hair care. She's created Four Naturals Hair Care. It's an all-natural, patent-pending, at-home treatment for type 4 hair. It's designed to maximize and restore hair and improve its overall health and manageability. 
Well, she's here virtually as a guest on ICU to talk about her entrepreneurial venture and the life she's created right here in the city of Houston. Please welcome Ms. Shalita Grant. Shalita, thanks so much for being a guest on ICU with Eddie Robinson. Oh, thank you so much, Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. First things first, we've got so much to get to, so let's go ahead and get started. What led you to acting in the first place? I think I read somewhere that your mother was a hairstylist. Yeah. Your grandmother had owned a hair salon since before you were born. But what was it about acting that attracted you to this particular profession? So for me, the acting thing was really just from a very young age, I've been like, awake because like I've had to survive and like had all of these different caretakers. Most of them were children. So it was just chaos, right? So my mom was a teen mom. And when I was about five, she ended up going to jail for a couple of years. And so when she got out, it was just like super unstable. For me, very young, I was like, oh, you know, there are patterns within my family that I see like generation to generation. And I'm going to try to avoid doing some of these things and see if I can get a different outcome. So one of the first things is, you know, I'm 33 and I don't have a child. And so my great grandmother died in 2018. My great, great grandmother, her mother died when I was nine in the fourth grade. So she was, you know, 14 when she first started having kids. My great-grandmother was 13 when she had her first child. My grandmother was 15 when she had her first child. And my mom was 18 when she had me. So when I looked at everyone around me, I was like, oh, literally everyone is like a child. Like everyone's a kid. (laughs) And so like children are irresponsible and they do dumb shit. And that was basically my family. It was just like everyone was so young. And when you're young, you're dumb. But unfortunately, when you have children and you're black and you're poor, you get caught up. And so that was, you know, the deal with with my family. So when I got to the middle school, when I got to eighth grade, I kind of saw that like the next high school that I was going to go to, like a lot of my family members went. And I started to see myself kind of in the same pattern of my aunt's. And I was like, I don't know. So when there was a meeting from the governor's school at lunch one day in eighth grade, they were like, we're opening up this two governor schools. One is an art school and there's going to be dance and drama and music and, you know, all these things. And then there's the academic school. And so I thought, wow, that's really cool. So I was like, let me just like try to get around different people. But I was stressed. I was moving. I'm the oldest of all the kids. How are we going to eat? My mom would go to New York for five days and just leave us. So like of all the things that I could do, all the academic stuff, I don't even want to try because that's going to be terrible. But the art stuff, (laughs) the art stuff I can do. And I was like, and the acting... I don't need like for dance, you have to have had money to go to classes, like to learn this stuff. But acting, they pick girls up at the mall to do that and they give them Academy Awards. So I think I could like get into this like school. And so that's how that got my focus. I got into that school. I started skipping school because, you know, I turned 15 and 
I had a lot of changes and my reaction was, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin everything. I'm going to ruin everything. I'm so mad that I've done everything that I possibly could right. And my life isn't better. So I'm going to it up. And so I did some things and then I ended up getting shipped to my dad's family <laughs> to Baltimore, Maryland. He had four other kids. So when I got there for a couple of months, I was just like taking care of the kids. And he had lied and said that he had got me into a school. And so it was like, oh, okay, well, I really want to go to school. And my dad, because he quit in sixth grade, he, it was just like, this is like a get out of jail free card for any teenager to not go to school. <laughs> like, that's like the way that he thought, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I was like, weird and I was like and not only okay. that I really do want to go to that art school because when I looked around Baltimore this was during the stop snitching like that stop stitching videotape that came out there was like clothes like stop snitching hats and there was a documentary like a hood documentary you didn't snitch because you didn't want the police to get him because you wanted to get him. it was like really dangerous and I was like I can't go to a public school like I, if I see something, I'm going to say something. And I, right, <laughs> that's a problem. Right. I remember that song. So I want to go yeah. to art school. And so for me, okay. acting like it, it was like a lifesaver, you know, in a sense, because I thought if I could just finish high school, I think that I could have a different outcome. And when I was there, they told me about Juilliard and then I auditioned and I got in and it took me a week of being there to know that I was in the best school for what I wanted to do. Because that's how divorced I was from the real, like, the real world of acting. I was in the real world, but there is another world. And I, I, I wasn't, course. like, pining to be in that. I was just trying to, like, stay alive and, like, potentially, like, make a good living in, as an adult. And that's why like being an entrepreneur now is healing. And so I'm doing all of the things that I wish I had the energy, bandwidth, time and money to do to put towards school when I was a kid because I really do enjoy learning. You know, before we continue with our chat, let me remind folks that you're listening to ICU. I'm Eddie Robinson and we're speaking with actress Shalita Grant. She's a featured star in the hit Netflix series, You. You know, in an article with Elle magazine, you spoke about black women often being invisible and your character Cassidy Diamond on the show Search Party uh, was the type of character that went above and beyond to be seen. Can you reflect on your childhood or your life as to telling us a time where you felt invisible and what you did to be seen? Yeah, like the thing about my family is like they are witty they are funny and we laughed hard you know what i mean like and and partly too for me like the the paradox of my life is that i share my story and i know it's so different from how i look and how i come across interesting you know and and so sometimes people take that and they think oh like pity and for me it's like no actually like the ends don't justify the means but i'm a strong ass and that's why yeah. i'm still here and i'm thriving because that's who i am i didn't have an easy childhood but i learned a lot of things that a lot of adults don't know yet and instead of taking that and going woe is me that's the the attitude that I have about, you know, how I grew up. Case in point, you know, about the invisibility. 
I, with my family, everyone's super funny. And if you're funny, you get the eyeballs. If you're funny, if you can dance good, if you could do anything entertaining, that's when you get the eyes. That's when you get the attention. And I could sing, I would dance, like, because the dark side of the family is you know, because everyone's a child, is your feelings, how you are processing, you know, the effects of the choices. No one wants to deal with that. Because everyone, like my therapist had said, when I had got out of my family and everything, I would still like try to like be in contact. And it would be so hard to be on the phone with them because, you know, I could tell that they weren't listening. I could tell that sometimes someone's trying to run a game on me. Like, you know, there there was always this disconnect. But the thing that hurt me the most was like when I would try to share with them, like to make them still part of my life, even though we were apart that there was sure. no like ability to connect there. And my therapist was like, well, unfortunately, I'm gonna tell you a hard truth, but this is like you going to a funeral and showing everyone your A plus because mm. they are in a different life. And the life that they live, they, they're dealing with grave things like economic instability, like, you know, relationship stuff, like kids, like health, like, and unfortunately they don't have the capacity. And so in that way, you know, I felt invisible, but the beauty of what got their attention (laughs) was that they were like honest about it. So my portrayals in, in my comedy, you know, everyone talks about like the authenticity and it's because If you weren't funny, my family, I'm four years old and they're just like, that's not funny. And you know what I mean? And it's like, you're like, that's really up. Like she's a child. And it was, it hurt like to to hear like your uncle be like, that's not funny. And everyone laugh at that is like, that hurts. But we're all kids and kids are honest. So it's just like, it is what it is. So come at me when you got some funny to say. And when you do, it's like, oh my God, that was great. So that was sort of my first like training ground because the, the thing is, is that light catches people's attention. And the thing about being inauthentic is your light isn't on. You know, your real light isn't on. And so we're going through real shit. So I'm only going to turn around for some real shit and I'm going to laugh at some real shit. And that's it. Coming up, we continue our chat with actress Shalita Grant and learn why hair has made such an impact on her career. And we'll also find out why she decided to become an entrepreneur to help other women of color manage and take care of their own hair. I'm Eddie Robinson, and I See You returns in just a moment. I see you. I'm Eddie Robinson, and we're speaking with actress and entrepreneur Shalita Grant. Born in Virginia, she now lives right here in Houston. 
She stars in season three of the very popular Netflix series, You. She's also played in the genre-defying HBO Max series, Search Party, as well as other shows. She's, she's in 2019, as an entrepreneur, she's created her own line of hair care product for natural hair care to help women with type 4 hair. We'll talk more about your product line in just a moment. But that line catches me that you just mentioned. Light catches people's attention. And I'm wondering, why should we pay attention to our hair? When I say we, I mean, you know, like folks who aren't actors, who aren't actresses. Why why should hair matter? And I'm thinking to myself, huh, this is a very interesting concept as relates to identity. Because if you look at it, hair is about identity. You know, we all like to look good. You know, speaking from a man's perspective, you know, I definitely like to look debonair, so fresh and so clean. But there comes a time when I'll use my hair as an excuse. As a result of my gray hair, now white, you know, I'll decide not to go out with friends or go out and eat at a restaurant. It's all about the power I've placed on my hair. So to you, Shalita, what makes hair so important and plays such a significant role in your life? Okay, so that's like, I'm so thrilled that you asked me this. This is beautiful. <laughs> okay, so hair. Very, like, there is this book, and the author talks about how, like, you can usually tell the most about an institution and the way that an institution feels about classes of people based on essential things like bathrooms. And so the difference in the upkeep of a bathroom in an airport versus the bathroom in a train station versus the bathroom in a bus station, even on those vehicles. So looking at things like essential things, you can kind of understand, uh, connote how an institution feels about people. And so when you take hair, it's not just identity, but this has also been a mode for control. And so when you look at hair in general and how that tracks through American history, well, what were some of the first things that the colonizers did to the Native Americans, the, the natives? They cut off their ponytails, right? In the assimilation schools, the schools that were literally called assimilation schools, like they, there was no like need to be PC about what we're up to in here. We're assimilating these natives into America, right? In these schools, they cut the hair. That was part of it. And so when you had the large Chinese immigration, what did the white men in San Francisco do to humiliate the Chinese? They cut their cues because they had these long, this rat tail, they would cut their cues. And that was also how these Chinese men assimilated themselves into American culture. If they wanted better jobs, they needed to cut their cue. So then when you track how that's happened with, you know, the natives, with immigrants, when you look at black people, our hair can be the cause of us being dismissed from work. Company denied him a job because he refused to cut his locks. The lawsuit alleges Jeffrey Thornton. It can be the cause of us being dismissed from school. Andre Arnold of Mont Bellevue, Texas, may not be allowed to walk in his high school graduation. School officials said DeAndre's shoulder-length dreadlocks violate the dress code. When he refused it can be, you know, like the, the amount of money that you're expected to pay. 
is astronomical compared to other people because you are expected to replace the pattern of your hair with another pattern in order to be what? Professional, to be a part of this society in a way that yeah. garners respect. Say white. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the importance of hair. And that's why hair. You know, it's eye-opening to see how hair is really part of a larger conversation and can even be a form of protest. I mean, as I understand it, you've been inspired, Shalita, by an excerpt from the late writer and poet Audre Lorde's collection of essays, Sister Outsider. So in your own life, how have you applied Audre Lorde's thoughts in The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House? How have you applied that to your own negative experiences with hair? (laughs) Audre Lorde. In that piece, she talks about how the opposite of divide and conquer is define and empower. And I took that and I was like, okay, how does that work? Take something like employee wages, right? The culture says, the culture, the dominant culture says you do not share your salary information with your colleagues. That is, it's bad etiquette. It's, there's so much PR Mm -hmm. about like not doing that. And so what that does is it divides and conquers within the group. Okay. Some people, you know, or feel better. And, and so they'll make sure that blah, 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 like whatever that culture dynamics, like whatever they're working on, that's what that's doing. It's not serving the employees. It's just serving the employer because if you define and, and what that would mean in that instance is sharing that information. If you define what's going on and, and who's being paid what and the why and the how, it's like, okay. And then you empower yourselves to fix this gap, to fix this problem. That is way more powerful than, you know, the sniping ways that we try to take people out, right? It's like, I'm going to take you out so that you don't have this job and the company has more money and so maybe I'll be able to get a raise. Or if I can show how I'm a better worker than you, then maybe I can get a performance bonus. It's that divide and conquer. But if we actually define this thing, hey, we're all like kind of getting our ass handed to ourselves here like we're running this company and we're not getting any of the profits actually in fact i'm getting like this and you're getting that okay and so what do you do so how do we try to fix this as a group together that's way more powerful and dangerous and radical and that's the point that she's making is that you're not being radical with these other tactics actually it's just more of the same The radical thing is finding it within yourself to bring down the ego, to whatever you have to do to make sure that you are working cooperatively. That's the work. That's the human spirit, you know? Eddie Robinson here on ICU with actress Shalita Grant. And so that internal reawakening, Shalita, it sounds like it really sort of helped guide you through the incident that happened on the CBS series NCIS New Orleans, right? I I took what happened to me on that show with the hair loss, with like the lack of knowledge, like all of that. And there's a book by Bell Hooks, Rock My Soul. And she talks about healing by rooting out all the ways in which you've internalized 
the oppression. And so that's where you start. You root out, instead of trying to go out into the world and root out the right white supremacy, root out the white supremacy in you. How have huh. you agreed with these things? And how are you self-policing? How are you self-abusing to try to keep yourself in line with this white supremacist ideal? Heal that, change that. And that's all that is. It's just letting it go and changing it, making a different choice. And so... When I got out of trauma therapy, because I ended up going to trauma therapy after um, leaving that job, because the other thing you have to understand is who the players were, right? Like this is CBS. It's like one of five, yeah. you know, and I'm leaving this huge show. Like there was so much like threat story around never working again. And so me leaving and putting myself and my health first, that was a, that was radical, and believing that I was going to be okay, like knowing within my soul that I was going to be okay. That was radical. And people counted me out. As soon as I left that place, it was just like, yeah, last we'll hear her. And I knew it. Okay. And so I went into trauma therapy three months, you know, did brain spotting, EMDR, you know, really somatic, like getting that out of me and then I looked in the mirror and I was like well there was one thing that white lady couldn't help me heal and that was my relationship to my hair so let me go. look at all of the things that I accepted and all of the problems that I just I believe are always going to be like my hair's relationship to water right like that my hair will never be moisturized with water in that when my hair dries, it will always dry in a frizz standing up. Okay, curl definition. The fact that I have to twist my hair for hours in order for it to like go into a shape. And again, if water gets involved, that's all done. The inconsistency with hair products, right? Like that's, that's a thing. You, you got a product that's going well and then all of a sudden it okay. doesn't work anymore. And you're like, what the? It doesn't work. So like all of these things that, and and how that causes this self-paranoia and this, you know, this feeling of constantly, I'm not good enough, people are watching me, you know, all of this. And so I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal this and I'm going to play through this. I'm going to pretend like I'm a cosmetic chemist. And I'm going to take myself to school because I love learning. So, and your full-time job as an actor is looking for work. So I was on full-time employment in 2019. So like for most of the year. So I yeah. had plenty of time to just research. And I thought, okay, and I'm going to go to some non-white hair cultures, like successful hair cultures, like India, like Ethiopia, like Eritrea. And I'm going to root out the white supremacy in me that tells me that, oh, the reason why Indian people have beautiful hair is because of their race. No, I don't think there's a shine gene, Barbara, but whatever, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, there isn't a luster code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. like, obviously they're doing something and they are, they use henna and they do these mud masks every weekend and they do it with the kids. And I have people on my marketing team who are Indian, whose mom uses it. And for them, because they have been Americanized, you know, they've accepted some of these things. They look back at what their parents are doing and they go, oh, it's an old way 
You know, it's the old way. But then they use the Four Naturals treatment and they're like, oh my God, like my hair appears thicker. The color is better. You know, the, it, my hair has body. It gives you yeah, the best fuller. version of your hair. You're not going to have my curls. I'm not going to have your curls. I'm going to have the best version of mine because that's what henna does. It just, it balances the porosity it attaches to the strand so it automatically protects the hair strand so any breakage the heat damage you know it it protects that coming up more with actress and entrepreneur shalita grant we'll get more insight into her new hair care product for naturals and how she's created this product as a response to the traumatizing job experience she had on NCIS New Orleans. Plus, how she's living and enjoying life right now here in the city of Houston, Texas, with her partner, former mixed martial arts world champion, Jessica Aguilar. I'm Eddie Robinson. I see you. We'll be back in just a moment. I see you. I'm Eddie Robinson, and we're speaking with actress entrepreneur Shalita Grant. If you can quickly just back up for a minute and let some people know, because some people may not have known what went down on NCIS New Orleans. Just quickly, just tell us more about what happened on the set, because you'd worked there for years, and those years did, in fact, do damage to your hair. Yeah, so basically, if anybody had seen the show and had watched it for any number of episodes, they know that Sonia Percy's ponytail was often really different. It went from episode to episode, sometimes within the episode, it's a completely different head of hair, like literally. Uh, what they didn't know was, you know, I had come on the show at the end of episode one and I had just was growing my hair out from, I did a big chop, you know, back in 2013 or whatever. So I'm on the show in 2015 and I was like growing my hair out I got on the show I did a few episodes it was a recur so I didn't understand the hair like regimen of a series regular so I had straight hair I let them like flat iron it I had a wig and when I found out that I was going to be a series regular, I immediately contacted everyone and was like, can I go into curly hair? Because I know that I can't keep that up. And so that conversation over years became me in extensions in the beginning of season two that uh, by the water episode of season two, that was the episode that got me the bald spot in the center of my head because I was practicing in chlorinated water several times a week and we shot in lake water and there was no maintenance on these extensions because like most productions, they have a set it and forget it attitude for black actresses' hair. It's like you got your hair done the one time by a hairstylist that we paid 250 or, you know, maybe 400, but don't be too expensive or else, you know, you get she's expensive to work with. So, you know, they had had those extensions in. I took them down that weekend and I had the bald spot. Then season three, we had the wigs, but blending my hair, like 
into the straightness of the wigs, they had to start flat ironing my hair again. And in season three, that's when I started documenting the hair loss. That I, I had about this much hair, about you know five inches of hair in January in the front. And by June, I had had about one and a half inches of hair. And so that was just the, the wear and tear of, you know, flattering my hair and still it was still like no we want that straight hair it's not professional it's vanity to be in some other hair and finally after a really traumatic day where I had to walk off the set I got to wear my natural hair texture like in a two strand twist so they would pay someone every week or two weeks to two strand twist my hair and they would just like keep that up until I got off the show. And so that was the experience. My first series sure. regulars job. Yeah. And, and listen, one of the stereotypical statements that's often said about black women is that they can be difficult to work with on set. Do you feel that you're standing up for yourself and advocating for proper hair care had been seen as you being difficult? Yes. It's not only that, it's that because your hair is difficult, you are difficult. And that's how we like absorb that having our hair is bad when white supremacy makes having our hair bad until for naturals. Because when I looked at that within myself, I was like, oh, so there is a belief that all of these problems are not solvable. And there's a belief that I can't solve these problems with plants, with something from the earth, because we all think mm. that we need chemicals. Chemicals. Yes. And it's plants. And so when I did my first treatment on myself, my hair was different. Like I could tell it was different. I didn't have all of the information that I have now, but I could tell it was different. It felt different. It reacted different. By the time I did my third treatment, I mean, I would go, I pole dance for your audience, uh, not for your audience, but I pole dance for oh. exercise. That's how I choose oh. Oh, to I exercise. Say, it's like, wow. <laughs> Ratings are up now. <laughs> no, with no, ICU. No, no. That's fantastic. No, I that's how I exercise. But at the time okay, I was okay. going to be spun in Los Angeles. And okay. I but I was in there like just flicking this okay. hair around, like, and it was mine. You know, like it's it's go. it's mine. It's growing from my head and it's gorgeous. These curls are actually outrageous, you know, like they're amazing and they're mine. <laughs> and that's very um, helpful to the soul, right? To know yes. that this is yours, you know, your hair. And look, in the third season of You, you decided to wear your natural hair and use it as a statement throughout the season, you know, with these immaculate ponytails to frazzled hair when you were captured by Love Quinn. You know, how important do you believe it was to show the range of black hair? Yeah. You know, especially on one of the most popular Netflix TV shows out there today. Yeah, like that's the other thing about authenticity, man. Because the thing yeah. about Sherry, like if I'm really going to be real, like the reason why people hated Sherry so much at the beginning is because she was perfect at what she was doing. You couldn't even be like, that ain't even all her hair because there were a bunch <laughs> of scenes where it just was. I am a feminist who grazed you. Oh, you want to know what grazing feels like? Hey, hey. Don't get hey, hysterical. I took hey, a seminar. Hey, hey. 
So like even that, it's like, yeah, you can't, there's nothing you can say. And I knew to be able to pull off some of the things I had to say and do some of the things I had to do, I had to have a lot going for me, right? A lot in sure, my arsenal, sure. right? And so for me, like without the Four Naturals treatment, I know that I wouldn't have been able to do that because I needed yeah. extensions. I needed wigs. I needed, because I couldn't grow my own hair, I couldn't even manipulate my own hair because it was fine and it was fragile and it would break and that was a problem. Is it available? Say it, Sally. Yes. Or do, do we have to go uh, online? Yes. When, where can people find so your product? We are it's patent pending pat- as well, we're right? We're patent pending, baby. So okay. the detangling method is patent pending, and the reason it's new and novel is because there aren't any detangling methods for textured hair. And our cosmetology board doesn't teach detangling, basic hair detangling, because they teach hair as hair. And then they pass out mannequins with type one hair. Everyone at the salons, they have varied experiences with detangling, but a lot of it comes with pain. And so for me, I was like, I'm going to solve that. And explain to people again, just for those who may not be aware of type four hair, it's predominantly, you know, the hair that most black women have. I believe, right, right, right. So type when you say hair. type four, what we're talking yeah. about is the pattern of the hair. That's it. We're not talking about how it feels, nothing. We're talking about the shape yeah. of the strand. That's it. And so Andre Walker was Oprah Winfrey's hairstylist, and he created this hair chart, the thing that we are, are referencing. It's time to talk hair. And ladies, we've had all those days where our hair is just This hair chart has been available since the 90s and it's used colloquially among black people and black hair salons, but it's not taught by the cosmetology board, which is the definition of erasure. It's ICU. I'm Eddie Robinson and we're speaking with actress and entrepreneur Shalita Grant. Shalita, as you've lived your life and your accomplishments that you've had, you know, if you can recall the most racist incident that's happened to you and how you overcame that. Oh, okay. Honestly, nothing that any white person or even because you know what, people of color have been guilty of holding up these same standards. You know, there are people of color that will say some prejudice, but there isn't anything that I can think of that I'm like, you know, I still I still think about this thing. I've had Airbnb requests denied and had a white person request the same time and get it accepted. You know, I've had okay, like okay. those kinds of things happen. And of course, the experience that I had, you know, on NCIS, which I think is an experience that a lot of black people have, which is the systemic, like because of the way the world already It's like cool to think of black people this way. You know, all these stereotypes that people just have, you know, in our society. When a black person does something, you can just attribute some racist viewpoint on the why and the how behind that. And within a system, yeah, it you up, especially for a job 
that's your livelihood. That's where you're getting Correct. money. And so, that's right. especially for CBS at that time, the head of the network was Les Moonves. And as a black woman on a really visible show for that network, because that network had a huge viewership, especially when it first started, you know, yeah, there were emails about my behavior. And because I didn't have that mm. access to power, you know, I had to deal with however they wanted to handle it. And for me, it was like, I'd rather get out before I give you cause to fire me, like real cause to fire me. But no, there isn't anything that I'm like, because for me, I just... That doesn't stick out. Yeah, yeah. Because for me, I'm just like, when when happens, it's like... It is yeah, what it they're is. Ra- I'm yeah. in America. Like, you know, yeah. like, yeah. I grew up nation of Islam. There is nothing okay, that okay. white people oh. do that... Yeah, on my mom's side of or the family. Black or black people. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. people are people. You got ones you got good ones and there are some people that are going to parrot the worst that society thinks to me and that's about them in preparation for this interview our producer laura burks was telling us about an incident in january of 2021 where high school musical actress monique coleman spoke out about how the hairstylist for the show the headband thing did not know how to do black hair right the 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 hairband thing Monique said that her headband look in High School Musical was a solution to a bigger issue an experienced styling of black actors hair said that her character always wore statement headbands because stylists did her hair poorly when someone goes to work someone goes to school subconsciously you know one doesn't realize the power of their hair right. you know their appearance and so in this incident it, it spoke volumes as to what I'm sure goes on quite often in television and film production when it comes to black women and their and hair. it's those kinds of microaggressions because that's how we've been told to like term it but it's like if you say like yeah the most racist thing that happened to me was three years on my show uh in cis new orleans and then you break it down and it's like yeah all of those things together equal like horrible but when you're in it it's a chip by chip it's like death by a thousand cuts you know so I think that that's more indicative of the experience of, you know, you do have those peak moments, but it's every day, you know, it's every day. Yeah, yeah. I did want to, I wanted to get your thoughts on depression, you know, because I read that you were grateful. Yeah. You were grateful for it because suffering from depression really kind of led you to learn how to live your life and your authentic self. Tell us more about that. How did you cope and deal with it all, Shalita? Yeah. And perhaps you embrace depression and on some level your sexuality. I mean, I'm sure that that played a role in terms of your profession. Yeah. Go. So, so I, (laughs) I say that because, you know, I'm grateful for the depressive episodes that I've had because for me, what I learned from being like on the ground is there are boundaries for me to live. And those boundaries are not set by other people. No matter how forceful, no matter how much they try to convince me that the power of my life is theirs, like thinking as a child, right? Like, you know, the many caretakers that I've had and the many times that I've like come up and and needed something and what I was met with, right? And like how I learned that like, this is what life is and like, this is how you're supposed to live. 
actually the real power is within me. And if that power is not realized, if it's if my light is not being cultivated by me, then I have the capacity to implode because I do have so much energy. And without a focus, without guidance that's from within, what I do is I go within and I tear myself apart. And I've been in therapy for 12 years now. And I've had many different modes of therapy too. I've had different therapists in different countries. I've never gone to a psychiatrist. I wanted to find a way to stand myself without any help, pharmaceutical wise. I wanted to be able to withstand the fire because that's how it could feel sometime. But the fire of my emotions and you know the sadness or the resentment or the bitterness because that's those were the things that would drive me into imploding and that implosion looks like depression I can't get up my head like the last one I had like I couldn't move my head because the pain would just like track I mean, it was horrible for nine months. And when I started going to therapy, I realized that, oh, this is a response. This is my inner light's response to me not living authentically. So when I, you know, broke up with the boyfriend, when I, you know, got the job at Equinox and like started just getting up every day, like, you know, I was like sad. I didn't have a job for nine months. And I was like, oh no, like my acting career, like I graduated from Juilliard. I did Shakespeare in the park and I did another Shakespeare thing. And then I didn't work for nine months. And so I crashed. I was 21. You know what I mean? Like I was a kid, like, oh no. And I crashed and I crashed hard. And I realized like, yeah, like you're not straight. You're not straight and you can't live like this. You can't live your life waiting for a job. You have to get a life and that life has to be something that's genuinely interesting to you and that's driven by you and not by what you think people will think is cool about you or like make people want to be around you or, you know, all of those like codependent things that I've had to like work through, you know, like I'm grateful for that crash because I saw some meme that was like, I told my friend that I crashed against the wall and my friend said, sometimes walls are meant for leaning. And that's kind of how I looked at my depression because anytime you've gotten up from your depression, you survived. Like the ending result of that sickness is suicide. That is the, that's, that's the end result. So every time you got up, Recognize what got you up. That's it. Just recognize what got you up. And for me, that's what got me up. And so that's why I'm grateful. And to just put a bow on it in terms of depression, how do you keep the batteries up and running, right? I mean, how do you keep that inner light, that glow shining? You know, because sometimes especially with all these reawakenings and evolutions that we're all experiencing with our culture, pandemic, you know, you name it. You know, how do you keep that inner light to continue to glow? It's, it's, that's the commitment. That's the commitment. 
when you say yeah. like no matter what so i have <laughs> i have it looks like pen but it's a tattoo hold on let me Amor, Amor, Fati, with a little butterfly. So that's a stoic principle. It means love of one's fate. Love of one's fate. And so the stoic principle, you know, going deeper into that is like the best way to reach eudaimonia. It's like this Greek word. But like the stoics, like people think it means like having no feelings. No, it's saying no matter what comes my way, desire, you know, pain, I will not be moved by those winds. I will remain happy and whole and like grounded. And so Amor Fati says, in order to reach that, that state, you have to believe that everything that happens in your life is either good or it's necessary. Because the end of the story is death, right? So if you're still alive, everything that happens to you is either good And if it comes with pain, it's necessary to learn a lesson. And if you learn the lesson, as long as you learn, you never lose. So that's how I keep my light going. I'm just present. I'm just taking it as it goes. I'm just, you know what I mean? But I'm committed to that. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And, you know, when I was talking earlier about my hair, and that's exactly something that I should keep in mind, too, because... You're still alive, man. man. That gray. That's it, right? That gray. Like, and that's the other thing that's weird about me, Eddie. You talking to the right one, baby? Because since I was a little girl, I told you... All of my people were young. All of my caretakers, my mom, my dad, everybody was young. So since I'm young, all I've wanted to do was be old. When I was in kindergarten, I would wear my grandma's clothes to school, her pantyhose, because I thought they were very nice. And the school ended up calling her because for a week, she would go and then I would walk to the bus stop. So she would dress me one way and I would go in and get on the skirt and the nice yeah. stuff that I yeah. think is nice, yeah. you know, for going out. Yeah. And, and yeah, they called her. Yeah, like you got to put real clothes on the baby. So for me, I look at old age or, you know, getting older as, first of all, there's a rhythm to getting older, you know, like, you know, what's important to you, the braid of the body, the braid of the body. So you got to figure it out. You got to work your way there. And then that gray is like, wow, it's sexy. It's sexy. I saw myself as an 80-year-old, even at 16, because that's when my gray gray was happening at a very early age, 16, 17 years old. And that's what's tripping me out because it's like, oh, my God, you know, people are going to think that I'm 85. (laughs) It's white hair. Well, I mean, that'll Um, be good. Maybe they'll treat you with respect. Like, I'm just like, yeah, think I'm 85. (laughs) Get that for me. (laughs) I've had a hard day. Put it in my car. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Not giving you anything because I'm old. I'm on Social Security. Can't afford a tip. She's awesome. <laughs> Shalita Grant, you're you're so amazing. You're in Houston now. You're a resident. How do you like the city thus far? Have you gotten used to the weather? You know, what, what's going on? Okay. The, the best restaurants. What's, what's happening? So Go. Jess and I just set a record in the neighborhood because we flipped a house here in Houston for a price per square footage. This is Jessica Aguilar. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Former world champion. Former world champion. (laughs) Mixed martial arts. Martial arts, yeah. So we flipped a house. We're under contract now. So we're just boogieing to that end of contract. I love the food here in Houston. It's amazing. I love Jessica. She's Houston made, you know. So (laughs) yeah, we, we having a good time. Yeah, well, look, I really hope to see you all in person you know pandemic out of the way here but 
you know, I will need to hug Jessica first <laughs> because I'm a huge fan of her. No matter um, how loud you are, she can't I'll... hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Shalita, thank you so much for spending some time with ICU. Yay, we did so good. <laughs> <laughs> Our team includes technical director Todd Holslander, producer Laura Burks, editors Mark DeClaudio and John Mitchell Good, sound designer Dave McDermott. ICU is a production of Houston Public Media. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And for more updates and episodes, visit our website, iseeushow.org. I'm your host and executive producer, Eddie Robinson. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, I feel you, we hear you, I see you. Until next time.